The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. And the Book of Mormon is replete with examples of disciples and prophets who knew and understood and were transformed by the enabling power of the atonement. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Welcome everyone to episode 60 of the Book of Mormon podcast. We got myself, Shelby, Kevin, and Emma is back with us, and we're excited that she's back. We love having you. I'm excited to be back. So we are going to dive in. We talked about Jacob 4 last week. We're in Jacob chapter 5, which is the longest chapter in the Book of Mormon. I'm pretty sure I learned that today. (laughs) And it's a lot of stuff packed in there, but... Before uh, we were just talking, uh, before we started recording, we were just talking and um, we wanted to kind of reiterate that conversation because it does have a lot to do with Jacob 5 in a way. So I'm going to throw that over to you, Kevin, to share some thoughts you were having as we were talking. Thank you. So (laughs) basically, the the reason I wanted us to do a little uh, reiteration of what we were talking about pre-recording was that we were talking about our our study guides like come follow me the book of mormon student manual all the institute student manuals things like that and one thing that we were talking about and that i brought up specifically was that i use it so that i don't get going down the wrong trail in my studies if I'm reading something and I think, oh, like this must be what that means. And then I come to the conclusion that I know exactly what it means. I'm right. And then I move on and and I start teaching it to people. I start sharing it with Shelby. I share it at a, uh, a Sunday school meeting. I'm basically teaching something that's not completely accurate. It's just my uh, interpretation of the scripture. That's not bad in and of itself right? Like there are opportunities and there's, there's also the atonement of Jesus Christ that makes up for our, our weaknesses and, you know, things like that. But the reason that it's so relevant to today's discussion and to this chapter is that this chapter is huge. It's very much, um, it's heavy laden with symbolism and old Testament references and things like that so it's important for us to take advantage of the study material that we have like come follow me or the the institute student manuals and talks and stuff like that so that we we know the truth about what we're being what we're reading and then emma you you said something that like really hit me strongly was that it's, you can use it kind of as, as guardrails. Mm-hmm. Do you want to like <laughs> emphasize like what, how, what that means to you? 
I think that we use that term a lot in our church, the guardrails, as in like a lot of times in like keeping the commandments or keeping the word of wisdom and like a lot of the laws that we choose to follow. And I think it, when we talk about guardrails, I think people are kind of using it as like a keeping within, keeping within the boundaries. And it's interesting when I was thinking about this earlier and I thought of it as a guardrail, meaning come follow me, the manual that we use. It's almost like because we have the prophet to kind of blaze the trail for us. He's like, here's exactly how you need to prepare to help prepare your kids so that they can help prepare their kids. So that we can get to like, quote, the end goal of seeing Christ again and him coming back. And it's like, that's kind of, I never really thought about that until today. And I'm like, oh, I really do need to do come follow me. <laughs> I need to get a little bit better at that. <laughs> yeah. We've been getting a little bit better at it, so we're right there with you. <laughs> we're not, we study, but not always come follow me. <laughs> so we're right there with you, Emma. Yeah. Anyway, I don't really have anything else to add unless you yeah. guys. Okay. I just thought that was a very insightful b- a bit of conversation, and, and it was also Christ-centered. And so <laughs> I figured, we'll why not? Yeah, why not do it? Um, so, yeah, Shelby, what? what where are we at? <laughs> so we're in Jacob five. Um, and let's just, let's start with reading the chapter heading and then we'll mm. kind of dive in. Um, so it says Jacob quotes Zenus relative to the allegory of the tame and wild olive trees. They are a likeness of Israel and the Gentiles. The scattering and gathering of Israel are prefigured. Allusions are made to the Nephites and Lamanites and all the house of Israel. The Gentiles will be grafted into Israel. Israel, Eventually, the vineyard will be burned. And this uh, is taking place about 544 to 421 BC when he's giving this allegory that Zenos escaped, which Zenos um, was a prophet that we do not have his scripture. It's actually what they consider lost scripture. Um, and so we don't have that. And so this is the only thing we have of Zenus, which is pretty cool. Hmm. And it like, it'd be cool to hear Zenus's writings, but um, I did want to read, give some insight into Zenus because he's in the first verse. And so uh, it does say uh, Elder Bruce, or let me start here. Zenus was an ancient Israelite prophet whose writings are not found in biblical texts to which you have access. Elder Bruce R. McClunky said, I do not think I overstate the matter when I say that next to Isaiah himself, there was not a greater prophet in all of Israel than Zenos. And our knowledge of his inspired writings is limited to the quotations and paraphrasing summaries found in the Book of Mormon. So I thought that was pretty insightful. Like he was a pretty legit man right up there. You know, he's a prophet. <laughs> so these uh, writings just became, I guess, that more and more, more important to me when I read through the chapter because I understood who this person was. And I think that's the biggest thing I've learned on our podcast so far is these people were real people and they actually took time to write for us for today. So for this day and age, the latter days, you know, you know, I always get amped when we talk about uh, that they were real people and that they were actually like, they actually were writing this down um, and I wanted to share my impression. Th- my first impression, you know, it was during the week, uh, 
when I was working, I was at work mm-hmm. and I was doing, you know, how I talk about sometimes how I'm like just doing like very mundane things at work. And I have kind of these uh, pretty um, powerful to me impressions about the scriptures that we're currently discussing. And one was that, okay, in the very last chapter, uh, Jacob is talking about the difficulty Mm. that he has engraving upon plates. And now here's these 70 plus verses of scripture that they had access to. And yet he thought, not just, I mean, yes, he thought, but he was also compelled uh, by the spirit to engrave on the plates. So this was a, this was quite an undertaking for him. It took up a massive portion of his, uh, a lot of his time for sure. His allotted space on the plates that were given to him by Nephi. And so that just, you know, obviously he thought it was super important and, you know, kind of like what Elder McConkie said regarding Zenos, I would, I would be so bold as to say that the engraving of this allegory was Jacob's crowning achievement as a prophet of God. Mm. Like this was so important in his ministry. It was something I could see him staying up late at night, getting up early in the morning because he had to, I mean, he was still a man. He did a bunch of other things in his life. Uh, he obviously had a ministry. And so he, he, like you said, Shelby, this was a huge amount of time mm-hmm. that he put into this endeavor. And I was so grateful for him for doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, now we know about Zenus <laughs> and his <laughs> undertaking. So I guess what we're... We can really start anywhere. What was people, what were our impressions? What do we think about? We don't necessarily, well, I feel like you kind of have to follow (laughs) the format of the chapter going, you know, verse by verse a little bit, because you'll see, we'll see some repetitive phrases throughout the -hmm. whole chapter and um, different, uh, what's the word? different meanings symbolism yeah and you can attach multiple symbolisms or meanings to the same uh Mm -hmm. scripture you know so it's not just one set way i know i'm talking a lot out of the gate i promise i'm going to give y'all your your time too i just i had two thoughts about that what you said which was in in the book of Mormon student manual it does say that you know just just to remind us that in an allegory, not every single thing has to coincide with a real thing. Like a, they're symbolic, but it's not important to get the meaning of every single little thing. Like one of the things that we do or that Shelby and I were doing was trying to figure out who each of the servants were throughout the allegory. And although we, I believe that we definitely can know and there is evidence to show like, okay, this servant was Joseph Smith and this servant was so-and-so. But if you're not able to find, um, if you're not able to find out exactly what something means, it's okay to keep moving on and trucking on and, and come back to that on your second go around or third or 15th 
go around in, in this chapter. And then I also wanted to say that in, in Come Follow Me, actually, which we were talking about, it it mentions, you know, Jacob 5 is the longest chapter in the Book of Mormon. It may help to divide it up into the, the sections. And so this first section, which is verses 3 through 14, it's describing the scattering of Israel before the time of Christ, which listeners of our podcast will know a lot about because that's second Nephi. That's all of Isaiah's uh, prophecies recorded in second Nephi. But I'm going to let y'all take it from here. Just that little preface. Okay. So obviously Emma, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm gonna say, <laughs> obviously we know this is about the house of Israel and the scattering and the gathering. Um, that's what this is about as we read in the header. What I really like, and I'll just start by saying, um, there's a, well, I don't want to like jump all over the place, but what really comes, sticks out to me whenever I read the, this allegory of the olive tree, um, is actually in verse seven. Um, it says, and it came to pass that the master of the vineyard saw it. Well, you know, I need to preface this. Let me go back. I'm sorry, y'all. So the master of the vineyard, obviously is Jesus Christ, right? Um, he goes forth and there's an olive tree and it's beginning to decay. And he says that he'll prune it. I'm reading from verse four, I'm summarizing. Uh, he'll prune it, he'll dig about it and he'll nourish it that perhaps it may shoot forth young and tender branches. That way it doesn't perish. So he obviously cares very heavily about this olive tree or in other words, his children, like his people, right? Like we, we are um, sons and daughters of our heavenly father. And it says, and it came in verse five, he, he did prune it and he dig and he digged about it and he did nourish it according to his word. So his timetable, cause God knows everything, right? So that was like one thing that stood out to me is God knows everything. Uh, we know, we don't know as much as he knows. He's mm-hmm. all knowing his son, Jesus Christ is nothing, save it be what the father tells him to do. And like, that's just so important to acknowledge right there, right off the bat is you can apply it to yourself individually, but you can also apply it to the church as a whole as it is his timetable with what he does. And we are merely servants working in the vineyard, vineyard. I said that weird <laughs> vineyard to help bring to pass his his plan, his plan of salvation and gather his family. Um, I don't know if you have any insights on that. Uh, there was there were a few thought processes. I like okay. where you're going with this because it's interesting when you mentioned the sections that the the student, the Kampalmi has broken it into, mm-hmm. you can kind of see the timeline throughout these verses, which is interesting when you think going back to the prophet Jacob, he, he was a prophet, he knew that this was gonna happen and that it had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, you see in verses 3 through 14, it's talking about the scattering of Israel before the time of Christ. And then mm-hmm. it goes to the ministry of Christ and the apostles, and then goes to a great apostasy. So it gets kind of hard. Like, he scatters Israel, and you're like, okay, where are you going with this? Then Christ <laughs> comes. And then it's like, okay, now it's the great apostasy again. And it's like, you see this throughout all the scriptures where it's like, especially, especially with Nephi and his brothers, it's like, okay, you were doing so good. Come on, guys. Like... <laughs> Then they get good again. It's like, okay, yeah. seriously, get with it. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> Christ and God knew this going into the creation of the world that there's, they're definitely not going to be perfect. And it's interesting when you go through 
the chapter of Jacob, you see, you see him talking about the scattering of Israel and you hear him say that had this not happened, mm-hmm. they would have perished, which mm-hmm. wouldn't have given Christ a chance to commit. Well, yes, he would have come any other way, right. but like it gave him more of this like gateway to here's my ministry. Here's how mm-hmm. you saw how we scattered it for you. Here's how we bring it back together. Mm-hmm. And now he's a great apostasy. So they do, you don't actually all perish. You know, right. no, so. it makes sense. I mean, they have a very, they have a long-term perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Eternal perspective. Right. Yeah. We talk about that a lot, Kevin and I, about having perspective because you can get really caught up in like, why are you, you know, why, what's happening? These people are imperfect. Who is it? Jeffrey R. Holland said, all God has to work with is imperfect people. And that must be very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He also has another quote um, talking about, again, working with imperfect. It's probably the same talk that you're talking probably. about, actually. It's, we already know the outcome. It's just, whose team's jersey are you going to be wearing? Mm. And it's like, oh, shoot, that's a hard thing to think about. When you're going mm-hmm. through a hard time, and you're kind of like cursing God and getting really mad at him. You're like, why are you doing this? And it's like, he's like, hold up, breathe. It's okay. I know how this is going to work out. And you're still just like throwing your fist at him and being like, Why? <laughs> it's relieving and it's frustrating at the same time you know and i think the thing is god does want us he does want to hear us when we're not frustrated he wants Mm -hmm. to hear us mad and angry he wants us to come to him because he's our father Mm -hmm. and he wants to comfort us in those moments or sometimes he just lets us be angry because i know (laughs) me like if i'm angry in a prayer i just need to be angry in a prayer and then (laughs) you know i know he's listening and just the fact that I know that he's listening makes me feel better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sometimes he does want those moments that you're talking about. So mm-hmm. I encourage people, if you're having some angry moments in your life, to just pray to Heavenly Father about him. And don't try to be like, I know I should be better. Just be angry. Just tell him how you feel. <laughs> and I promise you'll get better. Yeah. That's another good point. Like, okay, Jeffrey R. Holland, so cool. Another good <laughs> quote by him. Um, I don't actually remember where he was talking about this. But he was talking about going through hard times. He, mm-hmm. I feel like he almost kind of specializes some of his talks for people suffering with depression. Yeah, like, like mental anything. illness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember him saying at one point, don't leave your Gethsemane too quickly. Mm-hmm. And that hit me hard. It was like, okay, so how much longer am I going to be in this trial? And it's, like, <laughs> it's yeah. coming from kind of almost like a weak-minded perspective of, I have to stay here. <laughs> but it's like, when you think about it, I wonder how many lessons Christ actually learned in Gethsemane because he's doing this for, he atoned for everybody. everybody. So it's like, you can't just hope that your bad day passes. You kind of have to learn from it and you not have to learn just to be happy. In it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 It makes you, well, it makes me wonder what coping mechanisms jesus christ was able to develop Mm. in the garden of gethsemane right that's a really good point (laughs) i wonder if he was allowed to develop coping mechanisms or if he had to fully feel it you get what i'm saying maybe to fully feel it he had to have a coping mechanism though i could that could be a good point (laughs) very interesting this is a very big question (laughs) yeah good study topic yeah i think well, I know. Actually, I, it would be a good study topic because <laughs> clearly we all know because we're feeling it. <laughs> I believe uh, you're just understanding that the 
because all all this chapter is is the the plan of salvation in action mm-hmm. right and at the center of the plan of salvation is the atonement of jesus christ nothing is possible without it right and so these these periods of time when the lord i.e jesus christ to the lord of the vineyard goes down and he prunes it and digs about it and nourishes it which is he he makes the gospel available to mankind and then they either they either take advantage of the gospel truths and the blessings or they reject them and primarily how we see that in the scriptures is they accept what the prophets are teaching or they reject what the prophets are teaching. And when the prophet can't get any more work done, that's when the, an apostasy occurs. And so this is a cycle. It's a cyclical pattern throughout time. But what we have to remember is that long-term perspective, which we've been talking about and what you talked about where uh, Emma, Mm -hmm. which is that, if it hadn't been so in the first example jesus christ when he came in in the flesh he wouldn't have had a ministry to complete or to embark upon if there hadn't been a falling away Mm. he wouldn't have been able to restore anything and then if there hadn't been a great apostasy between the time of christ's death and the death and exiling of his apostles there couldn't have been a glorious period of restoration, which we are now um, enjoying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know from personal experience that things that are always available to me, I just take really for granted. And so in a way, I think that the cyclical pattern of apostasy and dispensation and apostasy and now restoration it's almost a way for the the human family, both those on the other side of the veil and us and those who will be here in the in the future, we're really able to appreciate it because we know that it doesn't have to always be around. It's not always there. Um, now it it's here for good, but now there's a whole different other, issue with that because we have to accept it and it's not going anywhere which i hope i'm not out of line in saying it um that really reminds me of the the saying that the somewhat prevalent is you can leave the church but you can't leave it alone there's I don't a think i've ever heard that yeah. i don't think i have either. oh yeah well that that's <laughs> there's there's a saying i didn't make it up for sure um <laughs> But it's that, yeah, you know, you can you can choose to reject this glad message, but it's not going anywhere. And so you're going to be constantly fighting with it for the rest of your life. And you're going to be, you know, you're going to be stirred up in your pride and or puffed up in your pride and and angry against the people who are still doing things, you know, still participating. And why is that? You know, it's, I believe it's because there's, there's truth in it, you Mm -hmm. know, can't leave it alone. It's always there. 
because now it's now it's the dispensation of foolishness times. It's not going anywhere. There's not going to be another great apostasy. That's a really cool point. I've actually I've never heard that quote that uh, saying before. Mm-hmm. What you're talking, it kind of reminded me back in Revelations. I don't know what chapter it is, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's talking about this. Sorry, this is kind of off topic. With I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, it's talking about this woman, and it's going through all the symbolisms of this woman. She's pregnant. She's wearing this crown. I think it's. Seven, seven different stars on her crown or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's talking about this woman. She's about to go into labor, and here it is this, I think it was a dragon or a beast mm-hmm. or some sort who's ready to devour her child when it comes out. And the child is born, and she runs out into the woods mm-hmm. and is being taken care of in this safe space. And when I read through this, it was a while back, but when I read through this chapter, it screamed the apostasy that's apostasy to me (laughs) um how the woman being the church Mm -hmm. she ran into the woods and was being taken care of and Mm -hmm. for a long time i always thought like i felt bad for the people who didn't have the church for all those years and who wouldn't ever have it in this life where it's like those poor people like why didn't they get the chance to do it of course we know that we have the temple where they are being taken care of but it's they really were being taken care of in the best way that they could have like yes they could have had the church right. here but like heavenly father knew what was best for them and that for that maybe time, they shouldn't have it here yeah for that time i watched i was telling you guys before the podcast i watched um the book of mormon central youtube mm-hmm. um and i went back and watched their insights on jacob five and they brought up that point that they're yeah <laughs> they brought it up you should be you should be on there <laughs> um <laughs> about how everything happens in its time period and the Lord, because we know later on that the Lord, you know, he tries, he brings servants in to help try and save these trees, these olive trees that maybe are growing wild fruit, or maybe they're growing good fruit, or maybe they're decaying. And we know that he comes in and he, with his servant, they try to shape it and put it where it needs to be. Um, And sometimes they're spread, you know, they graft some branches into other parts of the vineyard and, at times you think, why Why is that happening? Why are we uh, grafting in so many other places? And the point they made is like, the Lord needs to produce his fruit. He needs to take what's left of that graft and put it in another one because if it just stays here, it's not going to produce any more fruit. And so he needs to spread, you know, essentially the example they gave was when they, the 10 tribes of Israel were um spread and you know captive when the assyrians came but it's important and it's on his timeline and he knows what he's doing and they also brought up the example later on in jacob where you know the servants like this was the poorest spot of ground why did you put the tree here and the lord says cancel me not for i knew it was the poorest spot of the ground and it's like the lord knows what he's doing he knows it's the poorest spot of the ground so just go with it because he has the bigger picture and the bigger plan and the bigger vision of the house of Israel and how he's going to gather his people. So it was just, um, it was very interesting. And that's just what I thought of when you were talking to, I was like, Oh, I, I learned about that today. Let's <laughs> get ready. Um, but yeah, he, it's, I don't think it's to get insight to like heavenly father and Jesus Christ, like their, their perspective or their mind, of when they're pruning about and digging these trees. 
I think sometimes it can be sad because you're like, man, I, I put a lot of time into this tree and now it's producing wild fruit or it's decaying and it's not what I wanted, but it's okay. Let me try and make it right in a different way. And let me, you know, bring back the gospel at this part, at this time, you know, when it's going to be ready. And it's cool because those people that you're like, oh, and you know, I always saw it as, you know, that could be unfair. Well, we know because later on down, we had to be patient for years, right? But then we have temples now. And so we know, oh, don't worry. The Lord thought about that a <laughs> long time ago and he's got it in his plan. So we got you like. He's got all aspects of it covered. Yeah. <laughs> right? So. Yeah. And I think when it comes to, like, the grafting, um, mm-hmm. this is kind of, I didn't think I was going to talk about this. There's this story that mm-hmm. I read. It's not a story. Um, It's this woman. She had she got really, really sick when she was pregnant with her second child. And they had to do, like, now she's paralyzed. She doesn't have several of her hands. I don't know. The, I don't remember exactly the full story, but she talked about a lot of the procedures that she had to undergo and she talked about grafting. And it, this is when it kind of really stuck to me is because I had just finished reading about Jacob talking mm-hmm. about the grafting and I didn't fully understand or like get the full picture of what grafting actually meant. Mm-hmm. And when it came to this woman, when she had to get skin grafts, they cut out parts of her arm mm-hmm. and then put the skin somewhere else so that it could get better yeah wherever they put the other piece of skin yeah Yeah. and it it made this chapter so much deeper because when she talked about the pain of it she was like screaming in anguish in anguish it's like yeah that seems so incredibly painful and of course you don't really hear trees screaming when you're grafting them but like (laughs) you think about now when you read the story of this woman you see how painful it really is for that to happen and of course this is symbolism but i can't imagine that's an easy thing to go through when you see, like, as a missionary, you have to drop an investigator who's doing so good for so long. Mm-hmm. But you have to drop them so that they can mm-hmm. be picked up by, by another Somewhere missionary. else. Yeah. yeah. In a different part of the vineyard at a different time, right? Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to go back to the Book of Mormon Student Manual, which gives a really in-depth rundown of all the symbolism in this chapter of course the the kind of ones that are are given are that the vineyard is the world Hmm. um branches are groups of people which we know from other verses of scripture too but the grafting it says grafting is symbolic of the process of spiritual rebirth through which one is joined to the covenant Hmm. And I'm just, you know, Emma, when you're talking about the the skin grafts and it being a painful process, your spiritual rebirth, I think spiritual awakening and spiritual, ex- like the acceptance of the gospel, acceptance of Jesus Christ can be um, extremely joyful. There's There's definitely joy there. It can also be painful for some people because either they have to give away their sins, um, they have to make changes, and then also sometimes the people in their lives don't, they're not grafted in with them, right? So you're being grafted in to the olive tree, 
which is the the house of Israel. You've been baptized, confirmed. You're you have a calling in the church. You have you've repented of certain things, and you're you're making necessary changes in your life. But that doesn't mean all the other people around you are going to be doing the same. And so it can be painful to to move away from them or be kind of uh, you know spited by them because they see you as like oh you know you've changed man you know <laughs> like you used to be cool you know things like that and uh and there's just misunderstandings too you know which which are not they're not anybody's fault really so i, I just wanted to bring that up because i think i think we lately General conferences have been, and when I say lately, I mean within the past five or six years, probably even more than that. But just since I've become really conscious of this, the general authorities are so much more um, mindful that not everyone is in the ideal circumstances. You know, there's a lot of trials that people go through in order to be faithful members of the church. Um, And so... Yeah, I just wanted to bring that in because I think it just went so well with with your thoughts about that. I know we haven't necessarily been going verse by verse, but a lot of what we're talking about yeah. is in these verses. That's it's kind true. of just scattered throughout the chapter. Um, and so we're really we're really covering the chapter very well, but not verse by verse like we usually do, which is okay. Yeah. But it just I do want to focus on a phrase if we can. Is that okay? Do you have something you want to say? No, I I was just going to say that I 100% agree with you. Okay, good. And and I want us to, and and if we move past a certain point or you think, oh, we moved past that verse that I was going to talk about, definitely it's okay to go back and double back on it. This is just a phrase. We've already talked about it. We've already talked about the Lord, um, how it can be painful, you know, the grafting and, and doing all these things to his vineyard. But there's a certain phrase he uses to, I think, portray that. And he says, for it grieveth me that I should lose this tree and the fruit thereof. And to me, it just shows the love that our Heavenly Father um, has for us as his children and even the love that Jesus Christ has because he is one mind with the with the. Uh, I'm sorry, Jesus Christ is one mind with Heavenly Father. And so um, he asks, there's also another one that, another question that's brought up in this uh, verse of scripture is, what more could I have done for my vineyard? But I think it just shows how much he really wants us to come unto him. And um, even though it can be painful to continue, (laughs) like stay on the covenant path, because if you stay on the covenant path, you're going to get there eventually. Um, and Elder Holland, there's a quote in the Book of Mormon Manual that I want to read specifically to what more could I have done for my vineyard uh, when he asked that. And it, Elder, okay, so Elder Holland said, after digging and dunging, watering and weeding, trimming, pruning, transplanting and grafting, the great Lord of the vineyard throws down his spade and his pruning shears and weeps, crying out to any who would listen. What could I have done more for my vineyard? What an in, 
indelible image of God's engagement in our lives. What anguish in a parent when his children do not choose him nor the gospel of God he sent. So I think it just really gives um, some perspective into our Heavenly Father and and coming to know him more. And we come to know him more through his son, too. And it's just, I don't know. I just have always loved those two phrases. What more could I have done for my tree? Which you could take and say, what more could I have done for my family? For my ministering people, you can always ask yourself that. Apply it to your life. And then um, what was the other one? I just I just blinked. The other question. Oh, uh, agree with me that I should lose this tree. Just his feeling of sadness, I guess, and, and sorrow he had, you know? Yeah, that's so. a really cool point. Um, a question I had for a long time was mm-hmm. <clears throat> when it came to godly sorrow, you always hear heaven as like a place of rest, but yet there's this term godly sorrow. I'm like, where does that come in? Because like I thought heaven was where we get to like breathe and like take yeah. a break. <laughs> but that's kind of what I thought about was the God talking about his children where it's like he really like he's still working up there. He's <laughs> like right next to us and he's he weeps when we weep. He's and when we step back from him, he's like, I gave you everything that I could. Like, right. I poured my all into you. Why are you stepping away from me? Because we know from our baptismal confidence that we don't, the spirit never leaves us. We leave the spirit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, it paints a good picture in my mind, more of God and who, his, what his character really is. I agree. I think you just hit it on the T. What I was trying to say the whole <laughs> time was the character of God is really shown in this chapter. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. That was what well, I was trying to say the whole time. I just went and used a million words instead of Well, you would have three. had to use those million words before I could have gotten to the three. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so where do we want to go in this chapter? Like what are what are some of the highlights for y'all? Hmm. There's a lot of highlights. <laughs> So when I read over this chapter, I kind of, right before I got here, I was like, okay, I need to like relook, look over it again, just to make sure I really got the idea. Of course, I've read this chapter a ton, but like, I wanted to just make sure I had some sort of thought coming into this. Yeah. And it went back to the story of Noah and the flood, where it's like, a lot of people, when, we don't, I don't talk to a lot of people about this story, but when I have, they're always like, well, where was God in all of that? And it's like, Actually, he was doing all of it. Where do you think the floods came from? (laughs) But it's like most people, when they think of the flood, they think of it as this like not merciful, angry God who's you sinned against me. Let's kill you all. Like in reality, he couldn't have done any more for these people. And the best way that they could Mm -hmm. really have a chance to accept the gospel was to meet God again (laughs) and to be brought to spirit prison where they could learn and a little bit less contention and you see through see throughout this chapter how he really is a just god and that he's going to do everything that he can to help you including things that may hurt you for a for a time yeah so justice isn't always fun like <laughs> sometimes it's a painful process in becoming who god needs you to be 
is sometimes you have to get grafted. And the other side of that too is that it's a joyful process, right? Mm -hmm. Because you do get, you have these covenants that you make. And when you make them, I mean, as long as you're making them with the best intentions, they Mm -hmm. are joyous uh, things that are brought to you, promises that are promised to you if you abide by that covenant and keep that covenant. And that's what he does here with these trees and these servants is he's like, let me bring you my covenants so you can, well, you know, we have the fullness now and there's probably still more to come that's going to blow our (laughs) minds and we're going to be like, what? (laughs) But it's just amazing because he does that because he knows exactly when his people need it or when they don't need it, what you were saying, right? And when we need the other side of justice and not, you know, the happy side at times but you know what i'm saying so mm-hmm. um it's just very interesting to think about and so i think i mean i don't know um how long we've been talking to be honest with you but i i would like to either continue today or how long we've been going is really talk about the last half of the chapter and bringing forth like the restoration and like that type of thing in our role in it um in jacob five which is really down really down in the mm-hmm. last ones. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are, but yeah. There are a few things that I want to get to, like just like highlights and okay. a few things that I took notes on. We've been, it's like 40 minutes in. So. We can maybe do another, like half of it on a different one. Yeah. I don't know what you think, but sure. anyway. We'll get there when <laughs> we get there, I think. Okay. So... One thing that it's actually in verse 15. So we're going to back up a little bit. And it's it's when the Lord of the vineyard says unto his servant, come, let us go down into the vineyard that we may labor in the vineyard. Some, you know, we I mentioned earlier that, you know, when he when it refers to servants, you know, our minds come up, uh, come to either like prophets or apostles just people who are assisting the Lord in his work. Um, but the let us go down part to me really makes me think about um, forordination, right? So these servants, the Lord is somewhere with them. And we know that's heaven. It's the, the pre-earth life. And they've been either counseling or being given instruction and, and they're getting prepared to come down and complete their mission on the earth. And he says to them, let us go down. And so there's two things that, that I take away from that. First is that there is a place, right, where that happens mm-hmm. and that the Lord doesn't say, now you go down, it's let us go down. He's right there beside them. Mm. And of course, we, you know, we see the prophets and apostles, and we can probably imagine that the Lord is right there beside them, helping them along the way. And and they'll testify of it all day and all night that that's happening. Right. But I also would suggest, and, and I can testify that the Lord said to each one of us, let us go down, hmm. right? Like now it's time for you to go down and I'm going to accompany you through my spirit, through the Holy Ghost 
in, in the light of Christ, right, to guide you and to help you accomplish the things that you need to accomplish in your life and lead you in the way of, of eternal life. And so that, that was one of the things that I thought of. It was just kind of, it's very, um, I don't want to say obscure, but it's just, it, it was something that was just there. And I decided to go deep into it, like get to the meat of that statement. <laughs> I would have never thought about that. The poor animation part. I always thought of like, <laughs> this is kind of an immature mindset, but I always thought when I was coming like to earth, I had been like getting kicked out of heaven, kicking and screaming. Like, why do I have to go to earth? <laughs> like, <laughs> reading that, it's like, I kind of tried to change that mindset a long time ago, but it kind of made me think about it. The lettuce go down. It's like, he didn't actually like give me the boot. He was like, it's okay. We're going to take this one step at a time. We got this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I never thought of it in the forward nation part. I thought of it as like a, I don't know, almost like the condescension of God when mm -hmm. Jesus Christ was coming to earth. I thought of that, but like, <laughs> I gotta say, that's a little bit cooler, the forward nation one. <laughs> it's uh -oh. interesting too, Kev, because you can take all the analogies of the tree and apply it to your own life. Like, there are things you should stop doing, stop bearing that type of fruit, and mm -hmm. instead repent and, and graft in this part of the gospel or covenant or whatever it is um that helps you that's what the lord's doing with you is <laughs> going down with you to do that so um i just thought about that too because you can take the tree and apply it individually as well yeah <clears throat> in verses 38 and 39 though it's not the only places that it talks about it it does reference this nethermost part of the vineyard mm -hmm. and it that just reminded me that and, and it's been discussed in this conversation too. Um, I think Emma, you said it was that like the Lord is, is definitely doing stuff up there. Like he's up, he's active in this work and the nethermost part of the vineyard just kind of suggested to me that there's stuff out of sight that's happening all the time. It happened when Lehi and his family was led out of Jerusalem and then taken and led to the, the promised land. Um, it happened with the Jaredites. It happened with, you know, you know, Abraham and, and Joseph and all of them, but it's happening now too. There are things that are not necessarily in our direct line of sight that the Lord is doing to hasten, especially now hasten, but also accomplish his work. And so I, I kind of thought about that when, when we're, when we are on the verge of losing hope, we can kind of ponder what's happening in the nethermost part of the vineyard that is going to make this all okay. Hmm. Um, Worthwhile. Yeah. I like it. Um, throughout this chapter, it talks about a good spot in which things were planted and a lot of those are i think you know they're, they're just promised lands right they're places mm -hmm. where the gospel can flourish and and can really take hold of the people there and we see that throughout take root. yeah take root we can see that throughout the scriptures but we also uh I also think about it in terms of wherever Zion is being built up is that good spot. And 
in the world today, there's so many places in which Zion is being established. And so wherever you are is a good spot as long as you have, you know, you have saints trying to uh, build up the kingdom of God. Yeah. Sorry, I had two different thoughts. Hmm. I like the idea with the, or the, the point you made about Zion being built wherever there's effort. The two things I was thinking about was the good spot. I kind of almost thought about as each individual person being, are you hmm. almost taking it back to, I don't remember who quoted it. It was, I don't remember who made this quote, but it was, um, yes, God loves all his children, but does he trust you? So hmm. does God trust you enough? Are you a good enough spot where he can plant other, say like, have you as an example to help other other people help grow them in their testimony? Something else that, I liked to hear you say it was talking about effort. We were kind of talking about this before we press play, but um, when it came to service, always trying to be the best we can, but never being quite perfect enough, not kind of almost not making the cut. I want to say, hmm. I don't think that's right, but um, I think the key in that is that we're not, we're meant to be perfect in the end, but I think the thing that God sees the most is the effort that we put into it. Because, like, he knows our each of our individual circumstances. So he sees how much effort we actually put into it. So it's like, I don't think he's so much worried about the outcome of what we have, of what happened. Yes, that's an important part, but, like, how much we actually tried. So we could mm -hmm. fail, but did we really try in the process of the outcome? Mm -hmm. There was a talk today given at church about that, <laughs> um, but that the word perfect has in Greek means complete or whole. Mm -hmm. And so obviously we cannot be complete and whole right now because of, as we've talked about, we we're here to learn and grow from experience. So eventually we'll be perfect and um, be able to, the vineyard will be perfect, right? Like it'll be mm -hmm. complete and it will be whole, but it's going through stages and phases and, and servants right now. And we're a part of it. Which is really, really cool. And we can't be perfect yet. <laughs> like, right. we, we wouldn't in, be in mortal bodies. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. I think there's a lot of trials that come with <laughs> having a mortal body that's like, we're, we don't have that chance yet to be perfect. We're just in the process of it. Right. I love it. <laughs> there's definitely more that I would want to say about that. Maybe, maybe we could even kind of add that in to the next episode. Um, if I may, I'd like to offer my concluding thoughts, okay. and then we can just go around the table and and kind of close it um, close it with some thoughts. And next time we'll get into that that latter, latter half. half, or even like I guess maybe the last quarter of the chapter, yeah. in which it really talks about the last days, the gathering mm -hmm. in the last days, which we are in right now, and then the millennium. <laughs> And kind of to, to transition there, um, my concluding thought was in verse 47, which, you know, begins with, but what could I have done more in my vineyard? Have I slackened my hand um, that I have not nourished it? Nay, I have nourished it and I've digged about it and I've pruned it and I've dunged it. He, the Lord's done all these things, right? Um, 
he's put in, you know, great amount of effort and, and his servants have done the same. It says, and I have stretched forth my hand almost all the day long. So there's, there's this impending end, right, of the day, which is the, you know, that, that day of the temporal existence of the earth, I, I feel like, or maybe more specifically the end of a, a thousand year period, maybe, um, just depending on the interpretation that you want to choose. But I want to focus on that uh, stretch forth mine hand, the, the Lord stretching forth his hand. We talked about it back in second Nephi and uh, throughout the Isaiah chapters. And there were two ways of looking at that. It was one was the Lord stretches forth his hand in mercy and, and even like covers the people on the earth. But he's also stretching forth his hand to smite them, to remind them that he is their God and that they have they have something to live up to. Right. Um, that's the whole purpose of them being here. And so that, you know, that statement, I think it puts some, um, I guess, context of, of back to the character of God. It puts some context there of, you know, why the Lord does the things that he's going to do in the last days. And, and you know, uh, right before he comes again. Yeah, that's really cool. I think it's a good segue into not only the characteristics of God, but the char- characteristics we're supposed to be progressing towards, mm-hmm. like trying to move forward. And I think it's just a really cool way to know more about not only God, but about ourselves and who the, and who we're trying to be like. I think this whole chapter, this is my concluding thought, it's very <laughs> short. This is like the gameplay, the game plan yeah. all right here. So if you want to know what's going to happen, you get into this chapter and you'll get it. <laughs> a little bit of hope, a little bit of fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's all there. It's all in Jacob 5. And I think that's why Zenus such a legit prophet. Maybe we just weren't ready for his words yet. That's why we don't have him. Who I mean, knows? we're not even taking Isaiah seriously quite yet. So. Yeah, so he couldn't overwhelm us with two Isaiahs. You know, you have to split them up or something. But that's my thing is that. The game plan's right here. The Lord knows what he's doing. And I can't wait to talk about the ending of it all. You yeah, know? So, me too. Yeah. It's going to be pretty cool. That's it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I have a testimony of the scriptures. You know, they've, they've brought, just the Book of Mormon has brought such, uh, such light into my life. And uh, I'm super grateful for the opportunity to, to discuss it in such detail with good friends and now with my eternal companion it's been awesome and um and i say that in the name of jesus christ amen 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 until next time when we're gonna we're gonna finish out this fifth chapter of jacob um in the meantime definitely y'all out there listening um because we got a lot of listens last week um well over the last two weeks i guess but if you have any thoughts, it was Emma's family. <laughs> I'm, just <kidding. laughs> I'm just kidding. That's kind of funny. It was like, hey, girl, you want to listen? And she goes, 
Yeah. <laughs> Just wait, she's gonna listen to this one. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Emma's grandma. <laughs> anyway. We're always looking for feedback and, and thoughts and impressions. So feel free to send us those uh send those our way. But until next time, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.